Well, as many of you know, I enjoy preaching various series throughout the course of the year, and this year I'm going to be focusing in on the Psalms. And so hear the word of our Lord from Psalm 8. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through, Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you may know that my daughter Emily adopted a dog last summer. And in the evening, when I'm home and Emily is working, Tabby will come to my feet and look up with me at me with tail wagging, about to jump out of her own skin. And that, for those of you who have dogs, is a universal sign that she needs to go out and do her thing. And so out the door we go, and we stand under the great expanse, which is the sky. And this time of year, the skies are amazing. I love the crisp, clean air of the winter sky and the light show of these celestial bodies. And maybe especially so down in Bedminster where I live because there are less city lights to dim its beauty. And if I allow myself, I pause to take it in. I imagine what is above me, the scale of what is there. How many universes am I looking at? And if I really allow myself to be in that moment, it takes my breath away. Those are the kinds of things that you get to see when your dog takes you for a walk. Now, while all of this is happening, at the other end of the leash is Tabby. And Tabby's not having quite the same moment. She has her nose in the grass and she is smelling whatever it is that she's smelling. And she's not impressed with the expanse above her. She's not filled with awe or made to wonder about the points of light. Her interest is very different. And so tethered to each other, these two creatures, human and canine, we're taking in this world in a very different way. One with head buried in grass and the other with head raised to the universe. Perhaps it's a similar observation that made the Hebrew poet write. When I look to your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You know, from the very first pages of the Bible, it's been clear that when it comes to the created order, we humans 
we've been given a particular place, a relationship with our creator. There is no other species that is quite like us. Just a little bit lower than the angels. Somewhere between the angels and the dogs. Creatures who are very aware of who we are. And we at least wonder about our creator. I'm not sure that Tabby wonders about her creator. She wonders about the other dogs in our neighborhood. She wonders when she's going to eat, but she never wonders where she came from. She's not a wonderer. We humans wonder when we look into the sky. When we consider each other, we wonder. When we look to the future, we wonder. When we look at the past, we wonder. When we're struck by beauty, we wonder. We are wonderers. And it is in our wondering that prompts us to ask some very human questions that no other species asks. For instance, we ask the why question. We want to know why we're here. Why do bad things happen to good people, and why does good things happen to bad people? Why do we die? Why is life so complicated? Why do we have to fight with each other all the time? We keep asking why because we wonder. We also ask the how question. How does the universe work? How does the law of gravity work? How did we come into being? How will it be when we die? How do we find the answer to an equation? How can we send a person to the moon and get them back? We ask the when question, don't we? I just got back from the Far East and I was asking for 15 hours, when will the plane get there? Many of you are asking right now, when will winter be over? We wonder when we'll die, when we will die. I wonder all the time when my children will get off my cell plan. <laughs> when will they find a cure for cancer? When will Jesus return? Ray's asking, when will this sermon be over? Maybe before Jesus returns. We <laughs> wonder. <laughs> we wonder and we question. Our minds and souls are never quite settled. We want to know the answers, don't we? Simple answers to our questions. What but what happens in life is a great human dilemma. And the great human dilemma is that we don't get all the answers. There is only so much that we're ever going to know. There are only so many answers that we will ever be able to find. There are only so many problems which we will ever find a solution to. We are just below the angels. And the more that we come to know, the more that we realize that we really don't know, it's one of those great discoveries in the human quest. I mean, when I was 16, I knew everything, and I wasn't afraid to share this knowledge, and my parents were so thrilled that they had somebody in the house who knew everything. <laughs> but the more we know, isn't it true, the more that we don't know. And it's in this not knowing that makes us very anxious. We grow anxious when we don't have all the answers. We don't know what the future will hold but we know that there is a future. We grow anxious over our health because we're not sure where our health will end up. We grow anxious over the stock market because we don't know what world events are going to affect our portfolio. We grow anxious over our children because we don't know what choices that they're gonna make. We grow anxious over the course of our country because we don't know how decisions being made are going to affect us.
There's so much anxiety. Have you ever noticed how much anxiety there can be in a 30-minute cable news program? 30 minutes that it's going to tell you about the virus that's going to kill you, the burglar that's going to invade your home, the economic collapse on the horizon, the person that is going to terrorize you, the storm that's going to destroy your house. And all these things that we know that could happen, but likely won't, but we don't know for sure because we're just a little bit lower than the angels. And sometimes we feel like we're flying by the seat of our pants. We're flying without instrumentation, and to fly without instruments means that we are relying totally upon our own senses, trusting only in our intuition, not using the gauges that are in front of us. And sometimes when the skies get cloudy and the night is dark and the winds are stiff, and all of a sudden you don't have any instruments, really difficult to chart that course. Life does that sometimes. Sometimes life throws things at us that'll pull us off course. Unexpected weather, surprise events, temptations of the soul. You know, it's hard to fly when your soul is weary, when your heart is heavy. It's hard to fly when you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills. It's hard to fly when your marriage is falling apart. It's hard to fly when you get a bad diagnosis. It's hard to fly when you realize how little you know. If only there could be some fixed point some heavenly marker by which to set the course of our lives, like the wise men in the East who followed the star to Bethlehem, some heavenly beacon by which to navigate my life. I'm sure you've seen the movie Apollo 13, where the crew of the spacecraft are trying to get back home and they've lost their instrumentation, and they need to guide the craft to a precise angle to enter the Earth's atmosphere so that they don't bounce out into space or burn up coming back into the atmosphere. And without instrumentation, they can't find the angle unless they can find a point, a fixed point. And it dawns on them to use the moon, the very place that they were trying to get to, set the moon in the window of their craft and set their determinants based upon the moon. And I wonder if for us, there is some fixed point by which to set our lives, some heavenly marker. Despite the night and the clouds and the lack of answers, is there a fixed point by which to live my life? And I wonder if that's what, what the Apostle Paul points to us when he reflects upon the painful uncertainties of his life. You know, Paul was never afraid of talking about the painful uncertainties, was he? His life was full of them. Life seemed to be always full of unexpected and unwelcome surprises, shipwrecks and betrayals and imprisonment. And Paul knew his share of suffering, and he wasn't afraid to talk about it. And he says, we boast, even in our suffering. Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. 
Because God's love has been poured into us. Hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into us. Into our hearts. It's another way of saying that our hope, our fixed point, the coordinates by which we live our life is to be found in the love of God that has been poured into us. And the love of God that lives through us. Though life is filled with all sorts of unexpected turns and ailments, though there is much more that we don't know that we, than what we do know, though the universe is filled with all sorts of unanswered questions, there is one thing we know, one thing that we can believe in, one thing that we can set our hope on, the heavenly marker that gets us home. And that is God's love for us. And God's love living through us. You know, it's what Jesus was trying to get at when he got one of those great human questions, isn't it? He didn't get the why question or the how question or the when question. He got the what question. What's the greatest commandment? What is the coordinate that I need to set my life by? What is that moon that I need to see in the window? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. When the wind wants to blow you this way and the clouds make it hard to see and the night is dark, one thing is for sure. God loves you. The love of God is poured into you. And the love of God is poured out through us. Love God, Jesus says. Love neighbor. That's it. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. There's so much we don't know. Why? How? When? What? We're a little bit less than the angels. But there is a fixed point in the sky. The love of God poured into you. And the love of God living through you. Amen.